Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. If you could do me one quick favor, if you like what you hear at Planet Microcap, please take two seconds and give us five stars on Spotify or Apple. This helps with the search engine so that more folks can also discover and engage with all things microcap stocks. Also, Registration is now open for our next event, the Planet Microcap Showcase, taking place in person in Las Vegas at the Horseshoe Hotel and Casino, formerly Bally's, on April 25 through 27, 2023. Expect three days of networking, company presentations, one-on-one meetings, in short, a lot of fun. If you follow our community and especially invest in microcap stocks, you're not going to want to miss this event. Expect more announcements on speakers and who may be there to pitch a few names, as well as presenting company list. To register and attend, please visit www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. See you in Vegas. As of Sunday, January 8th, 2023, China has reopened its doors to travelers. In the previous few months, while the rest of the world has gone back to pre-pandemic guidelines and everything has opened up, China has remained on very strict lockdowns. And from an international business perspective, folks were wondering, what are we supposed to do about this? Will China ever reopen? If so, what will the new restrictions be? Also, how do we think about China within the international business community When you compound lockdowns with their association and allegations of supporting Putin in the Ukraine war and the crackdown on Chinese tech companies, nevertheless, China has reopened. And I wanted to put this news into context as some institutions start to look at investing overseas to park capital if the U.S. is to go into a recession. To help me answer some of these questions, I invited on Michael Fritzell, editor of Asian Century Stocks. Michael is a Swedish citizen who's been living in Asia since 2009, and he currently resides in Singapore and has been investing in Asian stocks since 2008. In our discussion today, we discuss the China reopening, consumer trends we should be looking at in China with the reopening, non-Chinese companies that sell product to China consumer base, investing in non-China-based Asian companies, and what this all means for microcaps in general. Thank you again for tuning into the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Michael Fritzell. This episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense. 
You can find them at streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G dot co backslash PMC. Stream is an expert interview transcript library that is starting to become an integral part to investors' research process. They have a number of interviews on a wide variety of companies, including TMT, consumers, industrials, real estate, and more. Stream provides over 300 expert interviews per week, and 70% of their experts are found exclusively on Stream. Stream is unlike any other transcript libraries. Stream integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Stream's community of experts and thought leaders partner with Stream to build their professional brands and expand their industry influence. Right now, there are approximately 8,500 plus call transcripts available. For more information, please visit www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Michael, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Well, thank you so much. I'm doing well. All right. Well, oh, you know, just, uh, you know, making it, it's a monsoon here in LA, uh, you know, so we're just uh, making it through. But, uh, you know, again, thanks. Thanks for joining, uh, jumping on here today. You actually, for the folks that are just listening in, Michael actually just recently participated at uh, during our Stock Pitch World Cup on Team Asia. So, uh, Michael, thanks again for doing that. And I invite everybody listening in or watching to go and check out and listen to his pitch because we're not necessarily going to be doing any kind of stock pitch today. You know, I really wanted to to cover some of the more recent news. Um, you know, as as folks are listening in, you know, he, Michael is the editor of Asian Century Stocks. He just po- published an article, um, you know, we're recording this on uh, January 4th. So as of recording this, it was uh, about 18 hours ago uh, about China's borders uh, reopening. Um, you know, that was very much in the headlines uh, last year, how China locked down again, like in really intense way. So wanted to start off with getting a better understanding of what this means, what do, are they fully reopening, and what this means for both microcaps and for the broader market. So, uh, Michael, let's dig in. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy you, you brought that up because, you know, this is a topic that I feel very strongly about. The, the fact that China's uh, COVID-19 policy has just done a 180 shift in the past two months or so. And uh, the ramifications for Chinese equities, or really like more broadly as well in Asia, are, are so positive. And, and I think people aren't really speaking about it in the, in the proper way. Uh, and um, the, I mean, I guess there are a few parts of it. One part is, of course, that the COVID policy has basically uh, shifted. They've taken away a lot of the restrictions, including testing. And, and, and also, uh, you're allowed to travel within China. And now, from 8th of January, we will see the border reopening as well. So no quarantine when you get back into China. So every kind of restriction that we've had in China for the past three years in terms of COVID-19 has basically been taken away. And uh, as, as far as I can see, you know, that's extremely positive for, for many Chinese consumer stocks. And I, and I think that people aren't really speaking about it enough. Uh, it, it will have... There are so many stocks that I see that will benefit from this. Uh, that they have basically suffered for three years now. 
So let's dig into that first. I mean, there's a couple other rabbit holes I want to go down, but, you know, in terms of, we don't have to go into specific names unless you want to, but maybe the certain sectors that you do see that will gain the most benefit now um, that you you've seen that hadn't gotten much benefit in the last three years in terms of Chinese equities. Yeah. So I think, I I think what I love about COVID-19 recovery stories is the fact that they're, they're so simple, and they, we've seen this play out in, in so many other markets. Uh, and I, you know, what's going to happen, I think, is that people will get infected. There will be some type of hard immunity building. You know, people will gain some immunity, and then and the subsequent waves will have less and less impact on, on uh, consumer behavior. Uh, and just the fact that, you know, the restrictions have been taken away, like up to 250 million people were under lockdown, you know, just a few months ago. So when that is taken away, I think, uh, I think people will start consuming. And specifically, I mean, when you're under lockdown, you probably buy your goods online and um, you, you go less to restaurants, you go less to bars, and, um, and, and you know, offline retail establishments uh, are, are basically suffered. So, so um, those are the ones that... Uh, you know, would be the prime beneficiaries, uh, just like in a, every other market. So when it comes to COVID-19, uh, restaurants, bars, transport companies, you know, like uh, rail, toll roads, airports and so on, um, they, they will do much better than before. Uh, and then you also have like the hotel industry. Uh, there are a bunch of them in Hong Kong, just listed, listed stocks. Uh, as well as also, uh, you know, anything to do with uh, like travel, online travel agents like Trip.com and and this GDS called Travel Sky. Um, so that's that. Those are basically uh, the main beneficiaries. But I think you know, just broadly speaking as well, sequentially, you're also going to see like a better economy because household equity has been building for the past three years. Householders are doing pretty good because they, their spending has been lower than before. And uh, so I think this will be positive for the, for the entire economy. Uh, of course, uh, the picture is a little bit more complex than that because they've had a real estate bubble in China and uh, the export companies are suffering. But the consumer is stronger than ever. And, uh, and I would, like I said, I would focus on these few sectors like hotels, transport and uh, restaurants, retail, basically. How would you consumer. For sure. But I mean, how, how would you say, because look, I mean, we're, you know, I'm operating the microcap space. A lot of folks that are listening in here have either been burned or heard of someone been burned or, you know, with regard to uh, U.S. listed Chinese stocks. Right. Um, you know, so there's always going to be some sort of risk profile when it comes to evaluating yeah. and looking at these potential as potential investments, especially in microcaps. Let's be real. Um, but in your opinion, has the risk profile changed? Have, have things become more risky? Is there things that folks should look at now a bit more intently? Well, you know, in, in terms of ADRs, I think that um, there is still a risk of delisting. And uh, like you as the PCAOB, uh, which is, I think is part of the SEC, they've been requiring audit papers from... Um, for, for uh, Chinese ADRs. And uh, I, I think we're moving 
towards a resolution of that problem, which means that these companies will stay listed as ADRs for the next uh, three years, probably. So the, this delisting risk is probably decreased, most likely. I think the, the, um, we're not completely out of the woods in terms of that question, but I think the delisting risk has been weighing on these Chinese ADRs for, for last year. Uh, so that's one, one part of it. And then of course, uh, over the past two, three years, um, Chinese tech stocks have been suffering due to a crackdown, I think, from, uh, from the Communist Party. And I, I, you know, that is a real challenge. The fact that you, you, China is a, is a communist country, uh, there is, and, and even more than that, it's, it's, it's kind of a country that's ruled by a communist party elite. That's been going after the opposition. And I think that's part of the reason why some of these companies have been suffering. Like Jack Ma, he might've posed too much of a threat to, to the top leadership in China. And I, I think that's part of the reason why Alibaba has been uh, kind of restructured and Jack Ma has basically been kicked out of it. Uh, there's been political games that have been affecting some of these companies. And also the fact that uh, they've been operating in the, in the media space, like Weibo, for example, the Chinese version of Twitter has been, uh, you know, in some cases censoring content, which the Communist Party did not like. So they've almost been a threat to the, uh, to the top leadership of the Communist Party. And uh, therefore, you know, politically problematic. And that's not going away. You know, you, you're still, this is still a, a risky country in terms of um, the lack of the rule of law and, and so on. And we've also seen that in the property sector with, with private, private developers really being uh, cut, off, cut off from bank financing, for example. Many of them are in the process of going bankrupt. So, of course, it's a, China is a risky market to invest in. Uh, I, I'm just saying, like, cyclically, things have really changed over the past two months. With zero COVID policy, uh, with uh, the border reopening, and the, the this delisting risk pretty much most likely going away. And I, you can also sense that the Xi Jinping and the top leadership of the of the Communist Party are really trying to to repair, uh, you know, China's bad reputation in, in, in its in terms of its capital markets. So something changed, you know, after October, after Xi Jinping gained a third term, and uh, most likely it's it's positive from a, a cyclical point of view. And um, and I think, you know, like if you're if you're a stock picker. I think you would want to look, look into specific companies that will benefit like fundamentally and, and make sure that the upside is, is, is big enough because it is a very risky market. Um, and then if you're an institutional investor, I think the, the big picture of a, a, a um, like the macro story of China easing, both monetary policies easing, we can see that through, uh, you know, a, a credit is starting to flow again since, since October. And, and also the fact that COVID-19 policy is easing, like the macro picture is just so good that I don't think that people are gonna just neglect that. I mean, they, I think investors will start to pay attention to China again now that the rest of the world is kind of in a rate hike cycle and, and potentially entering into a recession. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think a lot, a lot of investors will kind of hide out in, in Chinese stocks because the picture is just so much better from a top-down point of view.
That's that's interesting you bring that up because I mean, look, mostly in Western media, when China is being covered, other than you know the borders being completely closed, now they're being reopened, has been its association potentially with with uh, you know what's going on with Russia and Ukraine and, and the war there. You know, so it, it's that 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 completely overshadows what's been you know now this. Re- it's almost like a, it, it's like. I mean, obviously, it's been covered by by all most mainstream media as well. But I mean, at the end of the day, it seems to still not get any, any kind of um, noise from a financial investing perspective. Because even though it's reopened, there's still it's like okay, well, it may reopen, but there's still all these risks that are still associated with on top of this big one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 obviously a big risk. Uh, you know, there are threats. Uh, you know, every week there are, there are planes just crossing the uh, the middle line between Taiwan and, and China, and that threat remains. But uh, I think experts they seem to think that um, some kind of more aggressive policy with regards to Taiwan could happen by 2027, maybe. Uh, who knows, right? But I've also seen. I, I started investing in Chinese stocks, like personally in 2008, and also professionally in 2010. And I've seen so many cycles. They happen every three years. Like we had, an, uh, like Hong Kong stocks were po- popular in 2010, Asia stocks 2015, and then we have Chinese tech stocks were hot in 2020, 2021. Uh, but like, we, it's a cyclical thing. And I, this is not the first time that, that I've seen this kind of negativity. Like I remember this 2013, I was, I was at this Asia conference in Southern China, in, in, in Hainan. And speaking to Chinese uh, Asian investors, and they were so bearish, like so incredibly bearish. There was nothing positive at all in their view. Uh, and this really reminds me of that time. Uh, and maybe the narratives were correct in some ways, you know, like they were focusing on certain negatives. But the this focus shifts throughout the cycle. And I, I think, you know, you just want, if you're a stock picker, just ignore this kind of broad macro narrative and just focus on the story like of individual stock. And uh, and once people are, are really overweight, like they were in over in China, like they were in, in late 2020, that's the that's the time to take you know, to to focus on the risk again, I think. Absolutely. I mean, so I mean when you're looking now, you know, now that you've recognized this the cycle happening in the ex- extreme bearish sentiment, or well, in your opinion, now the bullish sentiment. Uh, in Chinese equity, I mean, what what have been some of your criteria when you're evaluating potential investment uh, in in Chinese equities right now? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I'm personally like really cautious, and um, I've been, uh, you know, over the past year, I've been frankly uh, avoiding Chinese stocks uh, because there's just a lack of rule of law, and I've been focusing on on, on overseas equities that have exposure to the Chinese consumer. Like uh, there's a Japanese condom maker called Okamoto, for example, and uh, like uh, I mean there are, or or there are retailers, Japanese retailers, South Korean cosmetics companies that are selling into China. Uh, I feel more comfortable with them because they won't be zeros. I know that for sure. Whereas it, with Chinese small caps, you you often end up with uh, you know just a um, Maybe related political transactions, or um, you know, just there are many frauds out there, especially in in, in micro cap land with, when it comes to Chinese stocks. So um, 
I prefer to invest in Chinese stocks that have like proven product that you can identify, maybe that you've used yourself and stick with those because a lot of concept stocks listed who you know, in the US, they, they are there to just take, take your money and leave. And there's no repercussions for doing that. So just be aware of this strange incentive structure when it comes to uh, Chinese ADRs. They're not interested in being there for the long term. Um, so I'll, I'll be very, very cautious with, with Chinese micro caps in general uh, and stick with companies that have like really good products that you can see. Uh, I happen to own, I purchased shares recently in a Chinese company called Neo Technologies, which, which produces uh, electric uh, motorcycles. And that's, that's a very risky stock, but at least they have a product that I know people like. And uh, I'm aware of the risks. So, um, so generally speaking, yeah, I, I will probably not get involved with Chinese micro caps that much because uh, especially not um, those, those run by you know, promotion management teams. I prefer investing in SOEs generally. But um, if you have to, stick with those that, with really good products and uh, you know, good finances. Absolutely. And, and real quick for that one, the Japanese company that you mentioned, are, are you currently a shareholder? Uh, I'm not, no. But, okay. you know, it looks really, really cheap. And, and frankly, like, uh, I'm going to say this many times, you know, if you ask me about specific stocks, but frankly, the fundamentals look fantastic for Okamoto as well, because uh, condom <laughs> consumption, it's related to nightlife activity. And I think that's going to recover as well, you know, after COVID peaks in the next few weeks. Uh, so that's really bullish. Uh, that picture's bullish. And, um, yeah. <laughs> For sure. You're thinking outside the box, right? Like, oh, everything, everyone's going to go back to nightlife. You know, it makes sense. Um, so another so actually one one last thing to wrap up our talk about china and the reopening there and i think one thing I, I mean you said a lot of interesting things but one thing that also stands out to me is like look you know if you want to look at china now that things are reopening and especially on the consumer travel that side of the business you know it might be interesting to maybe assess and look at some companies that have exposure to that that do currently sell in china Right. Like that. And, and they could yeah. be U.S. They could be U.S. Canada based. You know, they could be based outside of China. Yeah. But if they have that exposure, you know, look, it's reopening. People are going to have to use these things. So I think that that sounds like the main message you want to put forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, OK, like just because like China doesn't have a you know clear rule of law and there are many frauds on listed Chinese stocks. Like there are many ways to play this, just like you said, like overseas equities. There are also like American companies selling into China. Starbucks and Nike, whatever. So I, I think this should fit into your, you know, overall picture and the way that you make decisions. Also, you know, with regards to multinationals. Absolutely. All right. So another question that I have for you, you know, now all, again with China's borders now reopening, you know, Asia is a very big continent. To my knowledge, if I go back to fourth grade history, it's the biggest continent that we have on planet Earth, if I remember correctly. Um, so, and many other countries that are also, you know, that are make up Asia, you know, and I also recently had Gautam Beta on, um, on the podcast where we talked about, you know, he's starting up a, an, a fund specifically to invest in Indian equities. Uh, it's a U.S. fund to, to invest in Indian equities. And he talked about the opportunity with India. So I wanted to ask you from a broad perspective, looking at Asia, um, you know, are there any other countries now that either look to benefit and or will not benefit with 
now the border's reopening, um, you know, considering India, all, all the other countries? Yeah. I, I mean, basically, um, uh, East Asia is more exposed to uh, exports to China than the rest of uh, Asia. So let's start with Southeast Asia, where I'm based. I'm based in Singapore. So um, a lot of the countries here, they're, they're producing commodities to a large extent. You know, countries like Indonesia, for example. And uh, the commodities, the industrial commodities are probably suffering from the inflation of China's property market. But um, uh, so, so that picture is a little bit mixed, I think. It really depends on the, on the specific commodity. But in East Asia, countries like, or, or regions, no, like Taiwan and uh, Korea, Japan, um, there you got many uh, consumer companies. Like, like for example, in, in Taiwan, you've got a couple of uh, like beverage manufacturers, instant noodles, so they are huge in China. And there are a number of them in, in South Korea as well, which have significant exposure to, to China. And then, like in Japan, there are many uh, like uh, capital goods manufacturers, like uh, like uh, machine tool makers, and those will probably get increased orders as well, presumably as as factories reopen um, and optimism retur returns. So basically, East Asia is where I would look first, and consumer companies, so Korea, Japan, Taiwan, and and Hong Kong, of course, you know that's part of Greater China. Um, they're they're dependent on on tourism, like the like the local Hong Kong companies that are that are serving. They're, to a large extent, they're serving Chinese tourists, and that border has also opened up. It's going to open up on the eighth of, of January, uh, so that's hugely positive for Hong Kong stocks in general, like local ones. Uh, so basically, those are the four countries that I would look at. Just being aware, you know, that. I'm talking about consumer stocks. I'm not talking about uh, like tech companies or like DRAM, memory chip stocks, you know, anything like that. Because, uh, yeah, like consumer companies, like, like I just, like the one I just mentioned, for example, uh, Okemoto or like Unipresident uh, and so on. Gotcha. So, you know, you also have, you wrote another article um, that's, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, unfortunately, it's behind the paywall. So I have to ask you on here about it, you know, uh, to, to, sure. to know what it is, you know, um, is, and, and that's your 2023 predictions. You know, I'm assuming sure. that it's your 2023 predictions with regard to Asian markets. So love to hear what some of they are, some of them are. Um, actually, okay. So in terms of those three predictions, I, I I did that last year as well, just for fun, uh, just to kind of set the tone a little bit for what I'm about to write in the next year. Uh, and this year, frankly, my predictions were, were related to China, like the end of the zero COVID policy and the border reopening. Uh, that's very bullish on Chinese equities and, and frankly, for, for the region as well. Uh, that's one of those predictions. The other prediction is that uh, I think deflation is going to come in the rest of the world. And, um, you know, China is only one country in Asia, but uh, for those companies that are selling into the U.S., for example, they might find it a little bit harder to, uh, do, you know, with regards to consumer demand because monetary policy is quite tight in the U.S. And, and uh, if you get deflation, I think bond proxies will do really well like uh, long duration assets like uh, US treasuries, for example. Um, 
and that's not an Asian asset, but I, I do think that like bond proxies like that, like utilities or consumer staples or high dividend stocks would do quite well in a, in a situation where just inflation comes down and, and, and uh, bond deals uh, compress as well, uh, like, like interest rates go down as well. So uh, that's one prediction, basically that, that bonds will do quite well in the rest of the world. And then I think once we get this pivot, once the Fed starts to ease again, if inflation comes, down, you know, come, comes below the, the 2% target, um, then you, you'll get some kind of pivot. And I think that will be the end of this uh, long-term US dollar bull market. Um, and I think once the US dollar starts to weaken, which probably already happened, you know, if you look at long-term Dixie charge, it's, it's kind of peaked. And uh, once you get a down cycle in the US dollar, you will want to invest overseas. And I think that at this point, uh, like if, if you want to make money, I, I would definitely look overseas as well. Because if, you, if the US dollar starts to weaken again uh, after this last year's 15-year bull market, uh, you know, you out, you know, foreign funds will start to outperform and flows will turn out again. So, you know, I can tell you, even in this part of the world, last year, like only last year, everybody was investing in U.S. stocks. And I even, I spoke to a brokerage firm, you know, here in, 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 in Singapore, and they asked me, like, why do you want to invest in Southeast Asia? And I'm based in Southeast Asia. They, they didn't understand it. Like, they were pushing, uh, China, you know, U.S. stocks. So even here, foreign, like, People have been investing in U.S. tech stocks and now suffering a bit of losses. And presumably the next bull market won't be in, in U.S. stocks, but most likely in, in overseas equities, I would guess. So my prediction is basically there that the U.S. dollar will start to weaken once the Fed pivot comes. And at that point, you will want to be invested overseas. You know, we, we've we've kind of already talked at length about, you know, your opinion and your thoughts on the cyclicality of Chinese equities and, you know, why, you know, uh, you're bullish on it. And uh, despite all the main risks, which we which we did cover, um, what other countries in particular do you see that could potentially benefit from what you also see if potentially the dollar weakens and you start seeing outflows into overseas companies, particularly in Asia? Uh, I think I think there are two main focuses here, and one is Chinese uh, consumer stocks, and um, because the near-term fundamentals are just so positive, especially you know because of the end of the zero COVID policy, and then I would focus on Southeast Asian uh, stocks, not just consumer stocks, but just generally they're just so cheap, and uh, you know I'm in awe whenever you know. When I look at some of the, the, the companies that I personally own in Southeast Asia, uh, I just don't understand why they're so cheap. Uh, the fundamentals are, are, in many cases, extremely good. You can get high-quality, growing compounders at below 10 times PE with good balance sheets. I'm talking you know, net cash, uh, which just doesn't make any sense at all. And I remember you know, 10 years ago, this region was hot. And these stocks were all showing at 30 times PE or 40 times PE. So I've seen these cycles come and go. And uh, I would guess, you know, I don't know exactly when they will return. But Southeast Asia, markets like Indonesia, Malaysia, 
the Philippines, Singapore, uh, you know, all are extremely cheap, you know, across the board. And if you're a stock picker, you can maybe you can even improve on the you know index returns uh, because just some of them are extremely cheap. There, I mean, Southeast Asia, there are many countries there. There are some exceptions like Vietnam. Some stocks are a little bit expensive there. Uh, Thailand, some stocks are also a little bit expensive. India, same story there. Indian stocks are, are trading, especially consumer stocks are trading at quite high levels. But Southeast Asia, maybe because it's, there's just no, it doesn't have a brand name factor. Uh, there's just no interest at all. And uh, I, you know, I, I keep mentioning my enthusiasm for them, but people just aren't interested yet. So <laughs> we'll see whether it's, We'll see whether that changes with a weakening US dollar, but uh, uh, at some point, you know, if a company trades at P9 and it grows to 10% per year, at some point people will, will, will start to think, wow, this doesn't make any sense. Like, for example, I can mention a few examples just to, just to make it more interesting. Uh, there's a chocolate manufacturer called Delphi, listed in Singapore. They have about 40% market share in Indonesia. Indonesia is a, you know, it's a massive market. It's like 280 million people, right? And chocolate consumption is fairly low. It's, it's, a, it's minuscule compared to Japan or United States or even you know, Europe. The discrepancy is even bigger. So there's secular growth there. And they have a 4% market share, 4-0, which is they're dominating the markets. And I think they have products which are quite modern as well, like uh, that appeal to consumers. And um, the I think the net cash market cap is something like almost 30%. So the downside risk should be protected. Uh, the PE is somewhere at about nine times PE. Look at the last revenues, last quarter revenues. Uh, they're up, I think it was over 20%. All like longer terms, I would expect growth rates closer to 10%, but it's just a very stable company uh, that's doing reasonably well. And I've you know dug deep into it, and uh, of course the margins aren't as impressive as, uh, as 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 one of those Swiss chocolate companies, chocolate manufacturers, or the American ones. But uh, I'm still this is one of the last remaining chocolate producers that that remain independent from the multinationals. It's it's an asset that would be worth multiples, you know, of the current market cap. It's about three hundred million dollars, I think. Listen, listen in Singapore, so you can buy it by interactive brokers. So, you know, that's just one of those stories, but there are many, many more of them, uh, basically at similar valuations. And so Southeast Asia, Indonesia, Malaysia, uh, Philippines, those countries, or Singapore, those, those countries I would definitely look into as well, other than, you know, this, this Chinese recovery story. For sure. And real quick, are you uh, currently a shareholder in the, in the chocolate company? Yes, I am. Okay, cool. Just wanted to get that. So to close this out for for the interview here today, you know, when, you know, now you're seeing this opportunity and assuming, let's say folks listen to this, we go viral. It's like, oh, let's just fly into, you know, some of these Southeast Asian stocks and, uh, and, you know, some of these consumer uh, Chinese stuff, you know, in your opinion, I mean, what, how long do you see this potentially happening for? You know, you know, you know how sometimes it's like, okay, you have the folks that found it a little bit early, maybe it's stayed flat forever and then gets discovered. You see the, you see kind of that, that peak. I mean, what, in your opinion, how does this cycle look to you compared to other cycles? 
you know, it's 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 really tough. Like, I like to invest in you know in value with a catalyst where you have an identifiable catalyst, and that's why I, personally I think if you want to maximize the IRR, you're probably better off investing in something like a Chinese. Chinese recovery story, COVID-19 recovery story. Because you know that the borders will open up in, in just a few days. And uh, to me, that's that's a lot more interesting than just sitting on, on uh, this Indonesian chocolate company, which has traded flat for, for you know almost two years now. Uh, unfortunately, with microcaps, that often happens. You have to wait for quite a long time. And then suddenly, things things change. But I, you know, so in terms of the IRR, it, it may not prove that uh, that interesting, but at least you're getting like 5% dividend yield or something like that and while you wait. And eventually, I think uh, you get you know, above that <laughs> as, as the as the P ratio uh, goes up and also thanks to underlying growth of something like 10%. So you know, I, I can't predict the markets. I can't predict like, like um, consumer behavior sorry, investor behavior. I in this region, every time there's a like there's a tightening Fed policy, frankly, uh, these markets have suffered. Like this time around, that effect hasn't been as pronounced. But you know, it's it's a it's a risk that if if um, if there's a recession in the United States, which you know I'm not predicting, but if if there is, you often get outflows from these frontier markets, uh, like Indonesia, Pakistan. So um, I expect it to be cycles. And when in the next bull market, if we do get a weaker US dollar and people start claiming for risk assets again, uh, you know, that's the time, I think, when, when people start, will start paying attention again to Southeast Asian stocks. All right. I think that's a great place to end it. Michael, where can our audience go and find more information about you as well as your newsletter, Asia, Asian Century Stocks? Well, they can find me on, on Twitter. So my Twitter handle is Fritz, F-R-I-T-Z, 844, or Z, if you're American, F-R-I-T-Z, 844. And uh, I, you know, my job is basically writing a subset, and that's my full-time job. And the subset name is AsianCenturyStocks.com. And uh, I cover uh, Asia Pacific stocks, uh, including Australia and New Zealand. And um, and yeah, we'll take from there. Perfect. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward to our next update. Thank you so much. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Podcast.